I'm Bobby Navia. And I am Dorian Weinzimmer. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Couch, episode 85. Yeah, episode 85. Well, was Criterion 85, and then this is 86 Oh, shit. Now? Yes, you're right. You're right. I did have it. I did have it numbered right when we posted it. So this is episode 86. Yeah, Sorry. episode 86. Yes. Yeah, our fourth, our fourth episode in quarantine. Fourth episode in quarantine. Yeah. I think we'll hit 100 during quarantine. Uh, it's, yeah, it's looking pretty, like it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, great way to start the show, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, you know what? We're all in this together. There's no point in uh, pussyfooting around it. But I guess there's also no point in mentioning it because we all know what we're all dealing with right now. <laughs> true. Except true. for, you know, the few assholes who don't. But I, uh, I was like this morning I got up and I was like uh, I've seen a, a few people like on Twitter and Facebook doing like, you know, day day 25 or day whatever of quarantine. Right. Mm-hmm. So I counted the days that I've technically been like away from work that I'm just counting as quarantine. Yeah. And it's been uh, today's 34 days. Wow. In quarantine. And uh, I've I've stopped wearing underwear and I bought an eye patch at Walgreens the other day uh, <laughs> when I went to. Walgreens, <laughs> an eye patch. Yeah, because like earlier, earlier in the week, like my left eye started getting kind of like puffy, and I was like, mm. "Fuck, I got a sty now." Like, what the fuck? And um, so I text Tori, and she's just like, "Go to Walgreens, pick up all this sty stuff." And so I got like this cream and like a heat compress, and I didn't even need the cream. I just did like I just you know, washed my face really good for two days and did the compress like Mm -hmm. once or like once in the morning and once at night. And it's just like, it's fine. It's like gone. And so, but then while I was like texting Tori, I was like, Hey, do I get an eye patch or what? And she was like, no, don't buy an eye patch. She's like, Alex said you should, but I was like, no, don't. And so, uh, I ended up buying one and I'm like, I'm already spending like, you know, probably over $30 on this shit. What's an extra $6 for an eye patch? So yeah, so you've been so you worn the eye patch at all? Uh, look, I, I wore it once and took a picture. I haven't posted it yet. Yeah, because uh, anything, uh, listeners, uh, I can tell you, we're video chatting while recording this. Bobby is currently not wearing an eye patch. I'm not. Yeah. I'll wear it one day for the for for when we're recording something. Oh no! I'll have to try and maybe like theme it. Maybe I'll like suggest a, you know, a Pirates of the Caribbean movie or something to you, and then wear it. Hmm. Yeah. We're gonna go back, go back and watch a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> no, it, I wouldn't it, do that too. <laughs> I, I mean, it could, it might come to that. You know, there's yeah, <laughs> trailers are gonna be in uh, a short supply for for a little bit here. There are uh, trailers to movies that are still coming out on like uh, video on demand. Oh you know? sure, yeah. You know, so we could potentially find one that's like remotely interesting and yeah. That's a good idea. We should we should keep an eye out for that. We keep should an eye also out for we those. should also hash out the concept for the show on the show, which we're doing <laughs> yeah, right oh. now. I, I, which I like. I really like this. <laughs> <laughs> this show has now become you and I just going like, "What the fuck do we do now?" And having like a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> existential breakdown in the midst of a bunch of you know kind of band aid solutions to <laughs> yes exactly. having the identity of our podcast just sort of wrenched from our hands. Um. Okay, well, before we uh, start with this week's episode is about, if you're just listening to us for the first time with these uh, quarantine episodes, yeah, um, 
the whole uh, original idea of the show uh, before quarantine was that uh, Dorian and I re- review movie trailers. Uh, <clears throat> just the trailers. Just the two minutes or a minute and a half uh, that a movie promotes itself with. And we break it down from there. Like actors, directors, but also how like the trailer is um, edited. What it's doing, what kind of story it's telling. Um, yeah, how, sometimes we'll, how misleading it may or may not be. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, these last four, four or five episodes have uh, have not been that because the theaters are shut down now. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, trailers to review. <laughs> no, <laughs> so. no, and uh, everything in the world is getting shifted around with as far as like release dates go and stuff. So. Um, so there might not be anything new for quite a while, but, uh, we've been doing quarantine watch lists, what to watch on Netflix, Hulu, Disney plus, uh, uh, last week was uh, shutter and, uh, Dorian did uh, an episode on what you can start with, uh, on criterion channel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I so figure if everybody's at home looking for stuff to do to occupy their mind and their time and, uh, you know. There's a lot of there's actually a lot of legitimately good stuff out there. You know, it's like a lot of Netflix has been successful and sort of, you know, you don't really go there to watch other things. You go there to watch like what Netflix has made, you know, in the past week. <laughs> yeah. But there's actually still a lot of great movies on there, you know, that are worth your time if you've never seen them before. And same goes with all the other services. So we just wanted to take some time and be like, hey, you know, I don't, you know, it's a it's certainly not the kind of help that we need right now, but it's the one small way that we can help is to help provide some quality recommendations for how to spend your time while you've got it, you know? Uh, right, exactly. And, and probably have at least one of these streaming services. So hopefully we could provide some recommendations for, you know, anybody on some that, you know, they're not going to have to spend any more money than they already are on, on subscriptions to be able to watch some, you know, interesting or more varied or higher quality or just, you know, get outside of their norm, you know, yeah, kinds of material. And uh, we are, of course, always happy to provide that because that is the stuff that has indeed has provided us with the uh, nourishment over the years and inspiration to, <laughs> you know, pursue filmmaking ourselves and, and find ourselves, you know, also recording this lovely podcast. So, oh, yeah, obviously, oh, it's yeah. a subject near and dear to our hearts. So it's not that we're upset about having to give people movie recommendations over the Internet. Where they can't talk back to us. Because <laughs> for me, that's kind of an ideal situation. But <laughs> uh, but so we figured, you know, this week we, you know, we would do something a little different where we would each take one of each other's recommendations that we have given over the past few weeks. <laughs> yeah. And, and test it out to see if it's worth a damn, you know? <laughs> Right. <laughs> Basically, like, uh, I mean, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> we're, so, uh, what so is, this way we what is that, uh, what is that saying about being a, uh, uh, a member of the hair club for men? I'm not only a member, but I'm a user or, yeah. right? or mm-hmm. what was that? So it was basically I'm not just, what we're I'm doing. I'm not just the president. I'm also a yes. member. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay. There, you go. there it is. Yeah. So, uh, we're basically, uh, you know, yeah. we're, we're testing out our, our suggestions here. Yeah, exactly. We're in, you know, we're in sort of a, a, I guess closed loop environment. So <laughs> we have to <laughs> right. we have to become our own test subjects and controlled groups, I guess, too, which you know that doesn't really uh, work, but um <clears throat> in this kind of scenario. But uh, you know, fuck it, we're doing it anyway. We're doing we're doing science the couch way this week. Ooh, yeah. yes. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. 
okay. not to be confused with actual science, which is like way more important and more rigorous. But and uh, we'll hopefully save our lives by the end of the summer. Yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed guys (laughs) (laughs) really (laughs) um but uh um okay so you mentioned before that we suggested movies to each other for this week's episode yeah yeah so uh so we're testing our own lists here yeah with stuff that you know bobby recommended some stuff i had never seen i recommend stuff he had never seen so it was like Mm -hmm. are these recommendations any good let's Mm -hmm. find out (laughs) yeah and these are definitely like recommendations that like this is a movie. The movie I suggested to Dorian was uh, The Exorcist Three, and uh, the movie that Dorian suggested for me is uh, The Other Side of the Wind, which is uh, Orson Welles' last movie. Yeah, and so these are very much like uh, you know like a let's say for, like a Bobby movie and like a Dorian movie. You mm-hmm. know, um, this uh, Exorcist Three is something that I watched a couple of Halloweens ago that I was very surprised to uh, enjoy. And uh, Other Side of the Wind is a movie that, uh, Doran, you went to go see at Music Box. Hell yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was that on 35, right? Goddamn right it was. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, uh, They had an engagement there, and then it was actually, uh, it's actually a Netflix uh, movie. So it's currently on Netflix now for you to watch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Um, So... So, what do you, where do we, where do you want to start? You want to start well, art first, and we were well, it? no, we were like about to get into a conversation about The Exorcist Three, and then yes. we realized like we had not actually introduced the podcast or set it up, right. and then we did that, and then we talked about <laughs> our friends for a couple minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess we could really do whatever we want at this point, but I feel like yeah. we were we were on the cusp of an Exorcist Three conversation, so I feel like we should we should, you know be respectful of that. All right. Um, yeah. well, let me, let me intro this. Cause I just recently watched, uh, it's crazy enough does not have like a, a, a big connection, but shutter just came out with a new docuseries called cursed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's exploring, it's a five part docuseries exploring, uh, uh, movies that have been like, uh, put under the moniker of like this, this set is cursed. Uh, in some way because of a tragedy that's happened or just weird shit that has been going on. And coincidentally enough, the first movie that they do is The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was trying to figure out what movie to suggest, uh, you were like texting me and said like, oh, I still have this particular movie that I had suggested before, uh, Ganjin Hess on my list. And um, I went to go check my list on Shutter and, and saw Exorcist 3 and just remembered... Uh, remembered f- watching it and I was, and like, I went with my gut, like I told you in my text message, I was just like, Exorcist 3, just, just yeah, do that, you know? <laughs> and I think it might've been because I, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a fan of the first episode of Cursed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think it was very, uh, good. Yeah. Was um, it just, I, it just didn't like the way it was put together or it didn't, just didn't have interesting stories to tell or what? Um, it, it asked like, uh, it definitely went through all of the, um, all of the like weird stuff that happened on set mm-hmm. uh, of the exorcist. Um, and then it, uh, was it you that told me about the guy who is, there's a, a guy and oh, a, a doctor, the radiologist, the radiologist yeah. in the movie who actually like murdered a guy. Pro- yeah. Most likely was the, the killer that they never, you know, uncovered his identity that mm-hmm. William Friedkin then made the movie cruising basically about, 
And he ended, right, yeah, yeah, right, right. Okay, yeah, that's and right. he ended up interviewing this same guy at Rikers in prison. That gotcha. was the fucking okay. radiologist assistant in the Exorcist. Like so fucking crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. So they they talk about uh, they talk about that guy a little bit. They have like some uh, set photos of him and stuff. Um, where what I didn't like was that uh, the. A, uh, a bulk of the episode, um, which is just, it's one episode on the exorcist. So that that's it. Um, they follow a actual exorcist who you see perform like exorcisms. Oh, okay. And it's a little weird because like they're, they also kind of marry the episode a little bit with like all of the hype that was around the movie, you know, people fainting and also like, how when people have performed exorcisms or if you're saying that you're feeling possessed, like, are you really feeling it? Or is it something you just remember from the exorcist? Like Mm -hmm. saying I am (laughs) Lucifer or I am Legion. Right. Yeah. And, um, which was, you know, interesting and stuff, but I thought we spent like way too much time with this guy, with the exorcist guy. Um, and I mean, I don't know, like, uh, it just felt a little weird. And also like at the end of it, uh, Linda Blair, who they interview very briefly talks about a reporter who later in life she became friends with. And this reporter said that she worked for a newspaper or magazine during the time the exorcist came out and was actually instructed by, I I can't remember if it was a producer or an editor at her paper to, uh, like, write fake stories about what was happening to people while they were watching the exorcist. So people were fainting or people were having, you know, some sort of crazy mental attacks or something to basically drum it up. And Linda Blair was just like, it was all PR. It was a PR stunt. Right. Yep. (laughs) And so in the, and then like, like five minutes later, the episode ends. And I thought to myself, like, why wasn't a majority of the episode about this? You know, like you could talk Mm -hmm. about how like cursed the set was, but also in a way, like, the the curse was kind of fabricated as well yeah in a a, a little way you know like not to give any not to take away credence from you know people who believe in exorcism and believe in being possessed and all that other kind of stuff but i just thought that like it asked it was uh it felt like a like a production meeting the episode feels like a production meeting where everybody like threw ideas up but nobody was just like let's introduce the you know the the stuff that happened on set but then go with like this pr thing how the actual the actual legend of, you know, the exorcist being cursed was, you know, 50%, uh, you know, publicity campaign, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought might've been kind of interesting, but, uh, yeah, I just didn't really like kind of what, what they did with it. It just felt a little too all over the place and not, not focused. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's a bummer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that whole, like adding the like real life exorcism thing, sounds a little hokey. It, 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 and, it and also, it yeah, and also just not really on brand with what the show is supposed to be about. Like, what does that actually have to do with like, you know, right. I'm there to I'm there to hear like anecdotal, anecdotal, like juicy stories about, you know, the production mm-hmm. of this movie. Not like, you know, what a fucking lame ass real life exorcism looks like. It's, it, it was it's really, not that exciting, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was really weird. It felt like I just came over your house and then 10 minutes later, like I'm opening a book and like you're, you know, you're having like a seizure or something like it just felt too sort of like we're just going to roll into this, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, it felt you know what it it felt a little like too set up, I guess. Uh, You know what I mean? Um, 
And that's what took away from from everything because they do have like some credible people talking about like exorcism. They actually go into a little bit of the history of of Pazuzu, like what what this what this entity is in actual history, and that there's a there's an amulet that you know was like found that actually pregnant women would wear because Pazuzu has an enemy in in his mythology that likes to prey on babies and pregnant women. And so mm. women would wear the amulet and stuff. So that kind of stuff was interesting because you know, if you're if you've watched Exorcist and you know that whole story, you just you think of Pazuzu and you think of just something crazy evil, you don't think of him as a protector of pregnant women. Yeah. And so that was kind of interesting to learn, but it like goes from all this like a little bit of history of like exorcisms and learning about the mythology then to watching a guy performing exorcisms and then oh it was all PR campaign and then it was over and I was like ah, this is kind of I mm. don't like where this is going at all this is yeah it felt it felt like kind of a waste it was a bummer I was like ah, yeah it's it kind of also sounds like yeah they're they're basically trying to monetize like the IMDB trivia page for the exorcist ooh and yeah like sounds, there's yeah. there's <laughs> You know, yeah. they can only tell so many stories that are already like really well known about this movie before yeah. they had to just inject. OK, what you know, what can we shoot for like 100 bucks? Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm really because uh, one of the movies they're going to be talking about is The Crow. Oh, OK. Uh, and so, you know, I'm based off this first episode. I honestly don't have the biggest hope for any of the rest of the movies I'll be talking about. Yeah. But it'll be interesting where to, to see where it goes from here, because. Yeah, I, I just really wasn't a big fan of it. But um, yeah. long-winded way of saying your movie was Exorcist 3. Yes, it was. It was for <laughs> yes. a fact. Yeah, and you were, so you were about to tell me, uh, you know, why why this was your recommendation. That, like, you, you saw some people talking about it a couple of years ago that people were saying, like, Exorcist 3 is actually, like, a much better movie than people really give it credit for. Yeah, I um, would actually, because I had never seen it and hearing people describe it, uh, I heard that like it it had a, uh, I, I think it went by an original name when it was in production or going to go into production and it was just called Legion. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even going to be like an exorcist, I guess, kind of related flick. Um, uh, and then it ended up becoming that. Yeah. Um, and then, um, uh, but uh and then watching the movie, I just I was just kind of like struck by how I think I had already seen the Changeling by this point when we watched it with uh, for Joe Bob uh, yeah. for the last drive-in, and so I was interested to see you know George C. Scott is in the movie, Brad Dourif is in the movie, uh, and uh, yeah, it was just like so different from what I thought it would be. Like mm-hmm. I I thought there would actually be like you know. Uh, an attempt to do the exorcist again in some way with like George C. Scott or whatever, but to discover that he's a cop and he's got a friend and the only connection is father Karras, like, and there's actual like string of murders going on. And that's kind of the point of the movie. Um, the more and more I get into it, I was just like, this, this doesn't just, you know, like it's weird that this movie's called the exorcist three, but I'm still kind of engaged in <laughs> what's going on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, um, but yeah, I thought it just had really interesting set pieces. I liked everybody in the movie. It was just kind of out there, you know. Um, yeah. So that's why I suggested it. I just it just felt like something uh, really different. Yeah. Have you ever seen The Exorcist two? No. Okay. Me. Yeah. Me either. Uh, okay. I mean, I've heard it's fucking terrible. 
That's what I've heard too. Yeah, it's yes. uh, was it John Borman? I think did did too. Di- directed think, it. Yeah, he directed okay. like Deliverance. Um, yeah, oh some wow! Other stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I've, I've never seen, I've just heard it's like, it's like laughably bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and especially after like what a big, you know, obviously sensation the original was, mm-hmm. uh, rightfully so. Um, but yeah, so no, when you even told me like a year, however long ago it was that like, you were like, dude, watch the exorcist three. I was like, why? <laughs> Bobby has gone off the deep end. Yeah, I was like, man, is this another another one of these, like, I don't know, just every (laughs) 10 years now we have to, like, I don't know, have you guys rewatched like, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2? Maybe it's brilliant. (laughs) It's like, I'm pretty sure it's still fucking awful. You know, I I don't really think, I'm I'm not worried about having misinterpreted this movie because it was, like, (laughs) ahead of its time or something. (laughs) Um. You know, but seemingly everyone has to write a fucking think piece about these things now just to have like a contrarian opinion, you know, or whatever, yeah, I don't yeah. know, just to like start a conversation or some shit. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, anyway, so I kind of, you know, when you even told me about this, I kind of just wrote it off as that. Okay. <laughs> I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. I don't know, this movie probably sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and then, well, and then seeing that because it's, it's written uh, like, yeah, it's based on a William Peter Blatty novel. Yes. The same guy who wrote the novel that the original Exorcist was based on. Okay. Um, but then but then he wrote the screenplay for this film and then directed the film as well. Right, exactly. So yeah. this is, yeah, him adapting his own novel into his own screenplay for him to direct. Yes. Um, <laughs> so obviously he wasn't happy with Exorcist 2 is kind of what I'm getting out of this. <laughs> Is there, do you know if there's a, I didn't look this up. Is there a series of exorcist books or no? Um, you know, I didn't actually look it up. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't think so. I thought it was just the one. Um, but yeah, you can, you can internet that for a second. About to internet that shit right now. We'll continue. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, that, that didn't really inspire a lot of confidence in me that this was going to be some like undiscovered gem, you know, that it was like. The yeah. author, you know, is just going to pick up like, oh, I can direct a better movie than that. <laughs> you know, it's like, eh, go fuck yourself, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I'm glad yeah. you think so, but I'm not. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, right. that's cute. But um, but anyway, so. Uh, so, yeah, I, there wasn't there, there weren't a, a lot of, you know, positive boxes being checked, you know, in terms of my opinion of, of this movie sight unseen. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hey, I like George C. Scott. I like Brad Dourif. Um, and, uh, you know, I love the original exorcist. That's usually, I find more of a reason to not like sequels to things is if you like the original, you know, right. Right. When, when people are going to see part eight and they're like, well, you know, it's just, I love the original. So I just see them all. It's like, <laughs> dude, if you love the original, you should have stopped seeing them like five <laughs> entries ago, you know, out of respect for the original. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I just, and I saw the, um, was it the Paul Schrader one that he did oh, in like the uh, 2000s Exorcist, it, the beginning or something like that? Wasn't his like Dominion? Cause didn't they like take him off? There's like two versions. Yeah, of Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I okay. saw the, I think I'm pretty sure I saw the Paul Schrader version. Okay. Okay. And, uh, I never saw that. Yeah. And didn't, didn't really care for it. Um, okay. So yeah, I, it, and that, that was another thing. It was like, well, I've also already seen Paul Schrader try to delve back into this territory, and it didn't work <laughs> out. So 
somehow I don't feel like William Peter Blatty is going to be the guy, you know, for the job. Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so I watched it yesterday uh, after Bobby forced me to do so. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I watched it, and it's... Uh, it's way better than Exorcist Part 3 has any right to be. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't crazy about it. Mm-hmm. It's got some problems. Mm-hmm. It's got some issues. <laughs> yeah. It's got some things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, you, let's start with what you liked about it. What did you... What did you uh, uh, was it, is it because you just had such low expectations with the... With the rightfully so laundry list you know, of things like you just listed. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's kind of funny though because when I actually sat down to watch it yesterday, I had forgotten like everything you had told me about it. Oh, okay. I, uh-huh. I remember you having watched it and liking yeah, it, and being yeah. like, "Man, you should watch this." And so I was like, "I think like George C. Scott's in it," and I was like, oh, but okay, I, don't, yeah. "I don't," I was like, "I don't remember the premise or anything like that." And I was like, "Great, that's that's mm-hmm. the best way to go in." I'm just gonna fucking watch this then. So I kind of just sat down, really not even out. thinking about anything, you know, and and just threw it on. Um, just to kind of try to check it out, you know, on its own merits and everything. So, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, so what I liked about it, uh, a number one is fucking Brad Dorif in that movie is fucking unreal. <laughs> like, holy shit. Yeah. That, I mean, that's like a, that might be like a career best performance, like out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. I and agree. And I'm not. Despite, you know, I'm not trying to diminish any of his other roles or anything. No, I no, think no, he's no, no. done a lot of amazing work over the years, but this was like, I mean, I, I was, I was like glued to the screen during his. He's only got like two scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was, I was electrified by those moments. Um, they were delight. They're, they're like worth watching the movie for. Oh like yeah, just to see these couple of scenes with him because he's just so goddamn good in them. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was definitely hands down my my favorite part of the movie. Okay, um, you know it's it's weird. I was cracking up about it because afterwards I was thinking about it and I was like, "There's a there's like an old uh, joke in like the film world and screenwriting in particular about Act Two problems." Okay, where Act Two is traditionally the hardest part of the movie to write, even though it's also mm-hmm. the longest part of the movie. <laughs> Um, partially because it's the longest part of the movie, but because it's, you know, act one is like all the setup and then act three is all of the conclusion. So it's like, you know, you better, you better be able to put great shit in those two places, you know, but everything that happens in the middle, uh, is is really hard to make it good, you know? (laughs) And that's where a lot of, you know, that's where a lot of scripts fail and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of movies fail. And so they just call it act two problems, you know? And it was so funny to me because for this, for me, this movie has like act one and act three problems. Okay. All right. And then act two was actually the part of the movie that I, I was the most engaged by. Nice. Uh, okay. For sure. It was like, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the middle of it was, was actually for me the most interesting part of it all. Okay. Um, the, uh, you know, the beginning I thought it, it was, it was just a little hard for me to get into at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. cause it just seemed like. And and this might just partially be from uh, you know William Peter Blatty's like excuse me inexperience as a film director and just telling stories through film instead of through you know a literary medium. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it it just felt like the information wasn't being conveyed to me in any like substantive or uh, uh, engaging way. 
Okay. It was like, you know, I was getting like these sort of like kind of like oblique references to like what I'm supposed to care about. And then it wasn't until like 45 minutes into the movie that it finally is like, okay, here's why you're supposed to give a shit. Okay, gotcha. And here's why this is interesting. You know, at first I'm like, because there, there's a uh, there's a, a real like reticence to or uh, reluctance to show, you know, like violence in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I get they're trying to make, you know, it's trying to be more of like a, you know, like a, a deep-seated kind of like drawn-out dread, you know, kind of sense that's just instilled yeah. in you throughout it. And I think a part of that strategy was really to just show you the aftermath and never show you the, the act mm-hmm. so that you were always removed from that. It, you know, you were left to wonder at the supernatural seeming, you know, mm-hmm. uh, conditions under which, you know, these, these murders occurred. Right, um, right. And particularly, like, the priest character with, like, all this yeah. blood, like, cleanly laid out and these, like, bottles and shit next to his body and, sh- and stuff. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of ways, it, it also just served to, like, kind of obfuscate the story. Mm-hmm. In, in that, like, I, I wasn't getting the connective tissue between, because they wouldn't show me anything. Right, exactly. It was yeah. like, I was just getting told about these things they're finding on the bodies. And I'm like, can you just fucking show me this shit? Like... <laughs> Okay, there's a finger cut off. There's something carved into their other palm. Like, just show me that instead of yeah. like having a character hold a piece of paper in like the bottom third of the frame <laughs> that has a little diagram of this. Yeah. And then, like, five minutes later, have a scene where they're explaining it to somebody. You know, it's just like it doesn't really stick very well. Um, and it doesn't give you any emotional impact to like, you know, these, they're just like, you know. They're just these like very plastic feeling kind of like signs of a killer, you know, mm-hmm. um, you never see the real horror of them or anything like that. Right. And, uh, you know, so it just it, it was just weird the way that it was like I, I couldn't I just couldn't tell what it was trying to get me into. It was like, OK, okay. It, there's this weird supernatural murder thing. But, you know, why does he keep why do we keep getting these like little sidebar conversations about this like other serial killer who, by the yeah. way, I don't know who the fuck this guy is. Right. Because he's not real and you've never established for me like who the Gemini killer is. It's just all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's kind of like the Gemini killer. And you're like, I I don't know what that means. You know, right, <laughs> like right. <laughs> that, that is completely meaningless fucking <laughs> words. <laughs> um, so, well, because George, George C. Scott in the movie is a detective. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And he's, he has a friend who is a who is a priest uh, named Father Dyer. Mm-hmm. And their their connection, and and I'm gonna just assume the the loose connection to the f- first Exorcist movie is Father Karras, who is the priest that threw himself out of the window uh, at the end yeah. of Exorcist one. Yeah, after and performing the exorcism. Well, at a certain right. point, uh, George C. Scott mentions that he was friends with Father Karras. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, like in um in like college or something. You know, they like they became friends like young, and even though you know he went down the faith route, route, and he's a, as a cop, you know, is obviously the the logic. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, analog. Um. Uh, yeah, that you know they remained friends, you know, and respected each other because they were both you know just like intelligent, good people. Even mm-hmm. though they they've sort of one followed his heart, and one followed his mind. Yeah, um, right. But uh, you know, kind of kind of classic setup. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then he has, and that's, I think that's also how he like came, became friends with Father Dyer uh, as well. Yeah, right. Just through it mutual. was after, yeah, from like from, because they were going to see It's a Wonderful Life on like the anniversary of the day that, that Father Karras died and like that whole right. fucking scene over it, you know, the that household. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> wasn't good over there. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah. So that so that was like the little bit of loose connective tissue, and then you know they do bring obviously uh, Father Karras back into it uh, yes. later. In you know probably one of my you know again one of the more one of the like least interesting parts of the movie is the explanation of like why it looks like this you know yeah right yeah and I did I really didn't need the whole like okay here's how we have Father Karras's body you know like reanimated again <laughs> and it's like I you know you're like are we just overlooking the fact that like you're the devil yeah you right. Know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like that might be within your purview somehow, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, putting this outside of your ability to like, I don't know, shapeshift a person or something like that. It, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Reanimate the dead. You know, it seems like it's all on the table once you open the <laughs> devil box. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so yeah, so act one, you know, it just, it was, it was really, it was kind of frustrating to watch at first. Okay. Because I, I kept felt like I, I kept feeling like I was missing something. Yeah. You know, like, I, like, wait, what am I supposed to know here that like a makes this interesting or B even like contextualizes any of this into something that like makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just not there. And it just yeah. kind of like withholds it from you for a really long time seemingly. And it's not like it's like completely uninteresting to watch or anything like that. Like, you know, there's murders happening. There's like police procedural stuff, but it's like, the you know the way things like flow uh from one scene to the next and one piece of information to the next is just like really kind of like choppy yeah yeah and uh yeah it just makes it hard to kind of get a beat on you know like okay so is this about you know is this about possession or is this about there's a serial killer on the loose uh cuz i have no idea um, and then some of the like you know main plot elements even seem to come about like completely coincidentally Mm-hmm. Um, like his, uh, you know, George C. Scott's introduction to the, you know, person in isolation for 15 years in yeah. like the basement <laughs> of the hospital is just because like his priest friend dies at this hospital under very mysterious circumstances and he doesn't know what to do with himself. So he's just like, show me everything in the hospital. Yeah, right. And then they're like, oh, well, there's this one like crazy dude in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Come take a look. And then he's like, holy <laughs> shit. That's like, that's the rest of the movie. Right. And I'm like, is that really how we got here? <laughs> like, that was really, wow. That was some, some dumb luck, you know? <laughs> um, and then, uh, but then, but then, you know, you, you do see what's going on here. You do finally get an explanation of the Gemini killer and why mm-hmm. people keep talking about him now. And you're like, okay, that's interesting. Like, <laughs> Yeah, right. You know, that should have just been set up earlier. So then as we discovered these things at the crime scenes, I would have gotten the excitement of being there when it's like, holy shit, that's just like the Gemini killer. Right, exactly. But we killed him 15 years ago. What the fuck? You know, like, why couldn't I engage with those scenes in that in that way? You know? Yeah. I think would have been just a much more compelling movie and wouldn't have, like, sacrificed anything in terms Mm -hmm. of tone or mood or, you know, anything that they were trying to do with the film. Um. And then meanwhile, act three is like, it's just a mess. <laughs> it just, I mean, there's, there's literally a point where in the movie where you go reshoots <laughs> this, like, 
like at just a certain moment. I mean, I, I was sitting there watching it. I hadn't read any, you know, again, hadn't read anything about it or didn't know anything about like the, the ending of this movie, uh-huh. which there's some history there, but, um, but yeah, no, there's, there's like literally all of a sudden a scene that starts happening where you're like, what? <laughs> which, uh, which one are you talking about? You... It's like when the, when the, uh, priest who we've just met for the first time, walks uh, in walks into the basement of the church of the um uh hospital to do the exorcism on you know father karis slash brad dorif okay yeah and like when he just walks in and there's this like you know dolly back shot with like all the lights starting to flicker as he like comes off the elevator into the basement i was like this is not the movie i've been watching yeah right this is like some weird like superhero showdown moment that we're about Mm -hmm. to have that I didn't want this movie never communicated was an interest of its of its. Yeah. Um, and uh, it just seemed like it really came out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden it just became like this loud, flashy, like s- special effects driven mess. <laughs> just a music video. Yeah. That just <laughs> yeah. like didn't make any sense. And on top of it too, I was like, you know, okay, I get, I get the dramatic premise of we're now performing an exorcism on the exorcist from the first exorcist movie. Right. You know, like there's some drama to be had there, but somehow it just still felt like so stilted and like forced and just not <laughs> uh, like they were exploiting the kind of like drama and emotion that could have come from something like that. Right, right. Um, and a big part of it was because the guy doing the exorcism was some guy we literally had just met in the previous scene. Mm-hmm. Like he just shows up and they're like, oh, here's this guy. And then all of a sudden he's going to do the exorcism. And you're like, okay. Yeah. I guess this guy <laughs> is our hero now. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, it's just very weird. And then it's just all kind of like abruptly over. Right. Um, even the like ending shot of the movie uh, there's like, you know, everything ends and then there's this like final little shot of a gravestone mm-hmm. and even that shot of the grave, it's like the movie doesn't care anymore. It's yeah, they're like, right. they're like, yeah, whatever. It's, it's not a particularly good shot. We just uh, need to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just, it's seriously, it's up long enough to read half of what's on the gravestone and then it just yeah. cuts to black. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, yeah, sure enough when, you know, was, uh, looking up like some, little bit of back story online and uh yeah sure enough saw a bunch of stuff that said that yep uh you know the original ending was very different mm-hmm. and they filmed it all and that uh the producers when they were looking at the edits of the movie in post-production realized that it's called the exorcist and there's no exorcism in it um oh, oh yeah that's right so, that's right yeah, so they basically just decided, like, hey, guys, it's called The Exorcist. I mean, we got to have a fucking exorcism in here. Right, yeah. And he had to, like, write a new ending with an exorcism in it, and then they spent, like, $4 million, like, reshooting this ending and shit, and I don't think anyone was really happy with it. Uh, it didn't sound like... But, I mean, you can tell, like, when you're watching it, it's just... It's like a different movie all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, I really yeah. felt like... Uh, when I, I remember watching the movie, and um, I... I I do remember having that that feeling uh, you were talking about in the in the beginning of like I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I haven't gotten a, a piece yeah. of information, and not, a, um, not and like not in a good way either. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Not in a, like a mysterious way where you're yeah. like something's gonna click at minute thirty, and then the rest of this movie I'm gonna be in for a ride of some kind. Yeah. Um, but uh, I started thinking about 
while I was watching the movie the first time, but then also listening to you right now, is I think one of the the biggest. Um, even though I I do quite an, enjoy the lopsided ride the movie takes me on, I started thinking about that movie Fallen with Denzel Washington, mm-hmm. and that's a movie that is a cop procedural and it has a spiritual supernatural element to it, but it doesn't, you know, by the end of the movie, you know, the, the clouds don't open up and there's like uh, an angel battle that happens because, because the movie's called fallen and it has an image of an angel on the front cover of the poster or something, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> it sticks to being a cop procedural and by that notion, it's all about facts and what I can see and what I can battle. Because if I can't see it, then I can't defeat it. And that's yeah. like that's the intent of Denzel Washington's character in this movie. Is that cool? I can go to church and say Amen and everything, but like if I can't see it in front of me, I, I don't know what the fuck you want me to do. Yeah. You know, like I, I have no. And this one just feels like it doesn't know whether it wants Father Dyer to be the main character because it's an exorcist movie mm-hmm. or it wants to be the cop procedural and let, you know, uh, Kinderman, uh, George C. Scott's character, you know, ride, ride this supernatural, you know, uh, story to the end, but as a cop procedural to see yeah. what happens, you know? So, um, yeah, which it yeah. is, you know, it, 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 and it doesn't seem like the movie ever really finds a way to resolve that. Yeah, I think it's a big part of it. Yeah, because it's like it, you know, it. Father Dyer, uh, well, he lives up to his name and he dies. He dies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, relatively early in the film yes. as well. Yes. And so you know, George C. Scott becomes you know our 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 protagonist. And would you call that? Would you call that like the inciting incident of the movie Dyer dying? Um, I, I don't, I guess, cause there's like, there's like three other murders before it that just kind of get brushed off. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, cause there's that other priest that get, gets killed in the confessional and then, oh yeah, that's right. Yes. And then right after that, George C. Scott is like sitting in the crime, like in the confessional with the torn up like mesh between mm-hmm. the, you know, the two little compartments. Boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. And he's like having a conversation with like a with like a CI. Yeah, right. It's just like some random like criminal informant comes and just like sits on evidence and just like has a conversation with <laughs> right, him there. And you're yeah. like, is the, I, it was another thing that, you know, aside from just kind of not feeling like I was not getting something. Yeah. It turns out the movie just hadn't told me something, you know, mm-hmm. that was like vitally important. <laughs> the same scene. I was sitting there watching it. And I'm like in my head. I'm like, OK, I'm like, so is is he just sitting in this crime scene confessional booth, like talking to some random guy off the street? That's like his CI. Cause right. I like, I guess that's what's happening. I don't know why in a million years that would ever be happening right mm-hmm. now, but <laughs> apparently it is. And it was just, yeah, it was so confounding in a, a few spots, but, um, uh, but yeah, so I, you know, that probably would be just in terms of like, you know, its impact on the main character himself and right, how yeah, that, yeah. you know, that obviously propels his quest, you know, throughout the rest of the movie, which is really like, you know, sure, he had already been, he was already like, what's going on? Why are there these murders happening that are like the Gemini killer who we, mm-hmm. you know, fucking murder, who we put to death 15 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he already had that going on, but then when it became personal and then also had this like seemingly now supernatural element 
of like all the blood being removed and everything like that. Right, right. Um, you know, so so perfectly and so quietly without anyone knowing or anything like mm-hmm. that. That uh, you know, it kind of kicks it into where the movie is ultimately going to go. Yeah. Um, where you know he's got to <laughs> basically, but ultimately where it goes is he has to shoot the devil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really I'm serious that's the end of the movie he shoots the devil <laughs> um, I mean it's it's the possessed version of, of Father Karras from the original right but, yeah yeah he manages to he manages to fend off uh, Legion for just just a little moment little moment there so that it, you know his buddy can shoot him in the shoot him in the chest <laughs> yeah but um Yeah, but yeah, really, as as far as uh, the beginning of the movie, I guess, yeah. Well, and and in general, the end there. Yeah, those, you know, those were both, like, kind of, you know, difficult parts for me to get through in a way. Like, the, yeah. you know, the beginning of it really, yeah, I felt like it was kind of trying my, it was, like, daring me to keep watching it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for a little while. And, um uh, but yeah, well, I mean, once it started to finally like explain itself a little bit more and there's, you know, there were moments too where, um, you know, I thought Blatty showed at least a little bit of an aptitude for some kind of like poetic or more visceral kind of image making. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there were little moments that kind of flashed through, like there were a couple scenes in the beginning that I thought were actually kind of neat, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was paying some tribute in ways to some of the structural components of the original exorcist, like especially the way that sound worked in that movie and the way that scenes would build to these, like uh, just like, uh, you know, untenable cacophonies of just noise Mm -hmm. and like abrasive images and just horrible shit happening to people. Excuse me. And then just like all of a sudden just like smash cut into like a static shot with like no sound over it and just really like let, and it was it was so cool, like when they did the uh, whatever thirtieth anniversary re-release of it um, in theaters, and I went and saw it in a in a theater. Like those moments oh, okay. were so were so amazing. It was just so cool how they were structured for the theatrical experience because there was so much insane shit oh, happening, okay. and then for it to cut to silence like that, it was like you would hear like every uncomfortable shift in the seat and yeah. like little like Jesus Christ like comment that you know people would make. <laughs> You know, because it was like they were all wrapped up in it. And then as soon as the tension broke, it was dead silent in the theater. So whatever they did to, like, release that tension, you know, all of a sudden yeah, you'd yeah. hear it around you. And then, like, you'd realize that, like, you know, there's no safety in numbers. You know, it, yeah. it's like everybody was just as fucking freaked out by that as you were. So it's like nobody <laughs> is your savior here, man. Like, right, right. <laughs> some shit goes down. Like, we're all just as fucked. Um and yeah, it was a really, really amazing experience. So you could see the way that he was kind of playing off of that same approach mm-hmm. with this movie. Although, again, just not being nearly as skilled of a you know film director as say William Friedkin, right. um, who did the original. That it, a lot of some of the moments I thought worked out all right. Other ones I thought didn't work at all. Where he was mm-hmm. just you know it seemed like he was just trying to really like copy paste something from the original. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought those were the moments where it, it fell on its face a little bit. Because, um, yeah, they just they just didn't work out and, and were so obviously, like, derivative of the original source material. Yeah. Um, but, 
yeah, you know, there were a couple times that I thought it worked. So it was, you know, it was just a mixed bag, really. Like he was, he was trying, obviously, but it was, it was clear where he was pulling those tricks from. And um, the uh, uh, dream sequences that they had at the beginning, also, um, they were really, they were really only in like the first like thirty minutes or so. Um, Okay. Really didn't care for those. <laughs> uh, there was there was one that was all right that I think was actually it seemed more like it was actually like Brad Dourif's dream. Okay. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was that, it was yeah. just like yeah, it was just like an idea. It seemed like there was an idea being presented here that then just got left, you know, just not pursued for the rest of the film. Where right, um, you know, they had this scene at the very beginning where all these like doors and everything like blow open on this church seemingly out of nowhere. Yes. And then it, and then it just cuts straight to this steady cam shot of this you know camera just like walking down this like dark street kind of slowly yeah. as someone's yeah. talking about a dream that they're having. And you realize later that it's Brad Dorif's character that's that's talking about this dream. He's got some like, you know, filters and effects on his voice and shit so you don't recognize it, but um uh you know, it just had this really cool kind of like yeah, you know, dreamy but not overdone but real still very like enigmatic and kind of like unsettling vibe to it, but for no real reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, and you know, this little bit happens and and all this stuff. And I thought it was cool. It was like, Oh, we're giving like the devil's presence, like a, you know, like a visual cue in this movie. Like this is how we know, like we're occupying, you know, like the devil's space or something like that, or like we're on the prowl or something. And then it never comes up again. Um, no, I don't even. I don't even think that that. Uh, I know. I know what shot you're talking about. I don't even think like like that tracking shot comes no. comes back at all. No, there's there's never As, another POV tracking shot in the entire film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, but then there's a couple that are like George C. Scott's characters' uh, dreams, and one of them in particular is right before Father Dyer passes away. And he has this dream where he's in like Grand Central Station, but it's occupied by like all um, like angels and like people in waiting. And they're all like, you know, waiting on the train to elsewhere and like sitting in these. And it's just like and then at first I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden, like the second shot of it, there's just two midgets carrying a clock. (laughs) And I was like, dude, go fuck yourself. Like this is the (laughs) shittiest. This is the worst kind of movie dream sequence ever. Like who actually has a fucking dream like that? You know? Yeah, right. It's so (laughs) stupid. Like they're just, you know, people who think that like a dream sequence is just an excuse to just put whatever kind of random shit, you know, like the weirder, the better, you know, this is going to be so nutty. What a dream. And all this, it's like, I, I don't think that's how dreams work for anyone. Um, and it was obnoxious. And also it was, you know, it was weird. Uh, like the cast in that dream sequence, like Patrick Ewing was one yeah. of the like angels. Wasn't that weird? Yeah. And then like Samuel L. Jackson yeah. uh, was in that scene. And it, it just, yeah, really, really strange. Um, but it was basically, you know, it was him having a premonition that his friend is dead. Mm-hmm. And then literally the next scene is him walking into the hospital where they're telling him his friend is dead. So yeah. it was like, why did we need the premonition? You know, <laughs> like, I don't know what purpose this served whatsoever. Like his, you know, this wasn't, it, it wasn't putting together this like, you know, rich interior dream world that this like cop character had that maybe made some of his like objectivity questionable. 
Yeah, right. As right. things got weirder later in the movie, nope, that never that was never a thing right. that came up at all. Um, and you know, they just never used it to any effect. It just seemed like something they wanted to do to kind of I don't know, jazz up the first half hour of this movie because mm-hmm. um, they didn't really have a ton to do except for like exposition that was really necessary that I would have preferred they just got to earlier. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Rather than, you know, fluff it out with these like dream sequences and shit. So, um, cause they just didn't do anything for me. And then at worst, yeah, that like, man, those fucking midgets carrying the clock. I was like furious when I saw that. <laughs> just, that was, I mean, that's straight out of, uh, remember that movie living, living in oblivion. Oh, why does that sound familiar? Who, who so, uh, let's see. Uh, Steve Buscemi was in it. Um, it was a, what, Tom DeSilva? Is that his name? Movie? Um, but it's about, like, you know, it's like a day on an indie film set. Oh, uh, I think I did. I remember Peter showed us, but it's like, you know, they're making this uh, this independent film, and um, just everything's going wrong. You know, the director, like the fucking cinematographer only has like one eye or something like that, or wears an eye patch. Okay. And you know, the director is just this like, you know, I'm an artist, you know, kind of like director and all this shit. And then just, you know, the actors are like doing these rehearsals between takes on their own and completely fucking nailing these scenes and making them beautiful. And then they go to film them and they're just fucking garbage. (laughs) And, Uh. but, but there's a part where they're doing like a dream sequence and, um, it is actually Peter Dinklage in it is, Oh, okay. You know, there's like this dream sequence and there's just like an old woman, like standing like half naked, holding a typewriter. And then like a midget comes out holding an apple and like walks in circles around her. Huh. And like, you know, that's like the dream. Cause it's like, yeah. it's so weird, you know, and all this stuff. And, and there's a part where like, you know, the whole set just starts breaking down and everyone fucking hates each other and all this shit. And uh, there's a part where Peter Dinklage just starts laying into him about like this dream sequence. He's like, have you ever actually had a fucking dream like that? You know, like, (laughs) he's like, it doesn't make any like anyone here has anyone had a dream, anything (laughs) like this, where there was a midget holding an apple walking in circles, you know, like, (laughs) like, this is such movie bullshit that just doesn't, you know, no one connects to this. You know, this is just for other people with their head as far up their ass as you to look at and go, Oh, it's so artistic, you know, like that's yeah, all yeah. this is for. And like, that's what this, you know, afterlife dream sequence in exorcist three felt like to me. Okay. All right. Um, so yeah, it was a little, uh, you know, and, but then thankfully, you know, even though that's, I think a shortcoming of the movie that they didn't actually use this idea to any end, yeah. Um, that thankfully those dream sequences went away after a little bit because I just, you know, I didn't want to watch them. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it kind of feels like anything, anything interesting that would have been, uh, I don't know, like an in, in, interesting like character trait of George C. Scott's character of uh, Kinderman kind of uh, goes and comes very quickly. Yeah. You know, so like if if it was just a movie with just him and like not the priest, then like. Maybe you could, you know, tease these out a little bit more. And like you say, they would have an influence on how he detects in some way, but they don't. So it's like, cool, crazy dream sequence, you know, whether it's not for the purposes of just keeping it away from being, uh, what do you call it, Um, related to the first Exorcist movie, you know, or being like, or just trying to make it so different from it. But it doesn't go anywhere with it. Yeah. I just didn't know what they were trying to do with those. You know, I just, all I could all I could figure by the end of it was that they were just like, ah, you know, the beginning's a little boring here. Maybe if we had a couple dream sequences that would just liven things up a little bit, you know? 
Did uh, but, did you see uh, that in the in your uh, in your research? Because I was I was looking up the movie right now on IMDb, and I I did not know uh, they did a collector's edition Blu-ray of it of of The Exorcist Three, and um, that's the version that's on uh, Shutter. Mm-hmm. But I on IMDb it said that there it said that they uh, William Peter Blatty like was able to go back and make his director's cut. I saw that and like it's 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 a separate release from like tw- it's um, credited on 2016. Right, exactly. And it's called like Legion Exorcist Three or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So um, the actual the actual director's cut is on the is on the disc too. Oh, okay. Is on the uh, the collector's edition they put out. Uh, I don't know when this when this came out, but it looks like a it looks like a Shout Factory release. Uh, at okay, least the, at least the cover art does. And yeah. Stuff. But so I can't, can't find it. Watch it. Yeah, I can't find it anywhere to rent or or anything. But I, I mean, I would like to see it. I would like to watch his original cut. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess I'd, I'd like watch the ending. You know, I, <laughs> from what I understand, I guess. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I haven't looked into the the cuts of my. But from what I understand, that the point of contention was the ending. That the rest gotcha. of it was pretty much the movie that you know mm-hmm. he was trying to make, but he just obviously couldn't end it the way he wanted to. Um, yeah. Right. Is, yeah. Which sucks. Yeah. Um. But dude, I was I was also cracking up. Uh, George, you know, some of again, this I think goes back to some of his uh, shortcomings as a director. But you know, there were some performance things mm-hmm. um, that I didn't think were so great, uh, and you know, a little bit of stuff with just like exposition and dialogue. Like I said before, there were times where he showed a little, at least like a little bit of an aptitude towards some like more poetic or visceral kind of like image making. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a lot of the like dialogue scenes and stuff, I felt like he really, you know, didn't know what to do with them mm-hmm. from a directorial standpoint. Um, right. You know, in terms of coverage, they're very straightforward, you know, just kind of like over the shoulders and wide. And, yeah. you know, that's pretty basic, which is fine. Um, but really just even some more so in the way that like the dialogue was written and kind of played out uh, for the characters. It just a lot of it came off to me, again, as more literary. Um Okay, you know, it I didn't, it didn't, yeah. didn't have this kind of like urgency, you know, that like good film dialogue really has where there is yeah. almost like a visual component to how intensified it is, you know, in a way where it's right. like you can you could even read it on the page and like envision the way that this is going to be a visual conversation, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like like especially the scenes with, you know, I, I think he did actually a commendable job. And, and again, I think Brad Dorif did a lot to really make this work. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you look at Brad Dorif's couple of scenes, those are clearly like two pages in a novel, like monologue. Yeah. You know, like that's that's not like a good movie scene. <laughs> right, right. Uh, especially because the other character really has no fucking clue even what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, or anything. So he's just this, you know, it's basically just like the devil talking shit to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it just has much more of this like, you know, kind of like literary diatribe kind of quality uh, you know, or monologue kind of quality uh, to it rather than like, you know, a good movie scene. Mm-hmm. So, you know, luckily, again, I thought Dorif did such a good job fucking playing those scenes that I think he makes them work, essentially. Right, yeah, um, exactly. You know, yeah. they, they luckily, I, you know, he didn't really do too much from a shooting standpoint. Aside. He pretty much stays just like in a shot, you know, on mm-hmm. Brad Dorif when he's doing those scenes, which was the best idea. You know, you don't need to edit that. Like that, no. <laughs> that's what made it even better. You know, and there were there were actually even a couple nice little choices. I liked. Um, There's a part where during one of his extended 
uh, monologues, he's leaning like forward and backward on uh-huh. his bed, um, like leaning against the padded wall behind him, leaning in towards George C. Scott. Okay. And um, they had it so that like when he was leaning back, excuse me, um, there was light coming from outside of the cell hitting mm-hmm. the uh, uh, frame right side of his face. And then when he leaned forward, the light was coming from the window on the other side of the room. So it would hit him on the left side of the face. Mm-hmm. And so depending on where he leaned forward or backward, you would basically just get the right side of his face or the left side of his face illuminated. Okay. And, um, you know, it, it just fit in thematically very well with A, the Gemini killer. Geminis are twins. Right, um, exactly. The whole possession thing. The fact that there are more than one person inside of this body. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and all that. And so, you know, that was like a little thing that I thought was like a really, really good touch, you know, okay. that that seemed like they were able to, you know, one of those things that, yes, normally, I think in a lot of other circumstances, like this exact same dialogue on the page would not have worked well as a scene in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did here because I think they were aware of that limitation and worked really hard to overcome it and okay. did so successfully partially because a again the performance is so fucking good yeah, yeah um but then also yeah throwing in little things like that with the lighting and the camera that you know they don't have to do a lot and like cut the scene up and like risk you know compromising it somehow mm-hmm. or contaminating it with like you know an over stylization when you don't need that because you've got it's all right there you know you just right. need to let you just need to let brad do the scene yeah, like that—that that was all they needed, you know. And that's a really lucky position to be in, but it's also a precarious one because you can fuck that up real easily by being greedy, you know. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, oh man, this scene is so good. How much more can we do with it, you know? And it's like yeah. the answer is nothing. <laughs> you should do nothing more with it. Um, but it's it's hard to, especially for an inexperienced director, uh, mm-hmm. to to realize that and have that kind of restraint, you know. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was actually really impressive, you know, that, that scene, um, in particular, because I thought it was just a challenging scene to play as a film, you know, a compelling piece of cinema anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I know I've been, you know, critical of it, but, uh, like I said, I, you know, I did enjoy watching it. I was very curious, like even right from the beginning, you know, you can tell there's like, okay, you're like, this is not just like a shit sequel, you know? Yeah. I think anyone that's, who's, yeah. Yeah. Anyone who's a horror fan, you know, has seen, plenty of you know halloween fives or you know nightmare on elm street fives or whatever mm-hmm. fives you know, that are they're fucking bad you know like they're just <laughs> very very bad and uh and you can tell right away you know there's like from the moment the movie starts you can tell it's just garbage movie oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah and and you don't get that from this even though like i said there's you know it leaves you a little out at sea and you feel kind of like it's a little frustrating sometimes how you just kind of really don't know what is happening moment to moment or mm-hmm. even really how they connect <laughs> yeah uh, for a little bit it's I, there's there is like a you know a care in play yeah uh, and yeah. like a, at least an attention you know he might not have been successful with everything but you could tell he was paying attention to the things he needed to pay attention to Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it was actually like, you know, competently making a film. Right. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say this is like an incompetent movie. I think it's, a, it, it, frankly, I think even for all the, you know, stuff that I've been, been critical of, like, you know, for a, a, an author, you know, who has only directed one other movie prior yeah. to that, like, I thought he actually did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, some things that if he had continued directing movies would have been able to overcome with experience. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't think there was anything there that was like a, you know, a terminal shortcoming of his, you know, directorial career. No, not, a, you know? not, not at all. Yeah. 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 I think that's what struck me so much about it when I first watched it was, was like what you're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Just like, even though I was like kind of confused what's going on here, there were still a few like set pieces here or there that were like really stood out. Of course, Brad Dourif, you know, uh, being in it, but, um, yeah, I just like that. It was just so it was just so different it just wasn't what i expected so Mm -hmm. um that's like even if it wasn't um you know as good as the exorcist it was still something that was uh like you said just had a lot of care with it yeah yeah no exactly you can you know you can tell this movie was made you know with with good intent it wasn't just like all right boys let's get out this let's shit out exorcist 3 and make another million dollars <laughs> for our wives like yeah right you know kind of like nonsense which is you know unfortunately the decision making with a lot of hollywood films but is you know let's just crank out some shit and make some money off of idiots but um yeah no it felt like there was you know there was a, a, a serious attempt being mounted here uh you know right. to, yeah, to yeah, do yeah. something and to really make a film Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, something that would be a, uh, a legitimate successor to the original and not, yeah. what, you know, what I understand two to be again, having never seen it. Right. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I again, was not like mad that I watched it or anything. And OK, good. <laughs> yeah. No. And, uh, you know, this level of criticism, I've like you. Bobby's probably sitting here going like, wow, Dorian's taking it pretty easy on this movie. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't feel, I don't feel the need to be nasty about it. You know, like uh, there's, there's shortcomings here, sure. And and problems and stuff, but this is not like such a, you know, offensively, (laughs) uh, just (laughs) awful attempt at, you know, a medium that I love that, that I just have to lay into these people. You know, it's, it's not incompetent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just a little inexperienced, you know? I'm also a big um, fan of like I know I mentioned Fallen earlier, but I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, uh, writers and directors taking a swing at meshing two genres together mm-hmm. and attempting to make it interesting. You know, even if it ultimately doesn't, you know, uh, even if they don't hit the ball out of the park, so to speak. Like stuff like Fallen, I really like uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I really really like that movie. Because that is a courtroom drama around an exorcism, right? Right. You know, and I feel like the balance in that movie is is very very good because our our main character who's defending the the priest in that movie is not a believer, mm-hmm. does not believe this. So her the only way to defend you know the priest who is being accused of murdering this girl who died during an exorcism is to find a scientific way to prove all this and how he did take care of her uh, while we're also getting the exorcism side of the story through the priest. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so I guess when I, when I watch it, I, it's kind of uh, a little bit like what I'll talk about when we get into other side of the wind is, um, you know, I watch some of these movies that are early two thousands, maybe early nineties. And then I watch, we watch, I watch something from, you know, like the fifties or the sixties or the seventies. And I'm like, holy shit, like somebody already did it or somebody, ha- you know, had the idea and like attempted to execute a version of that as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it was just kind of cool to be like, 
watching Exorcist three and be like, oh my god, this is Fallen. This is Exorcism of Emily Rose. This is just uh-huh. <laughs> this is just this movie like being smashed together, and it was just kind of interesting to to watch to watch it in that sort of uh, you know watch it through that lens, seeing what I've already seen before too. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, but you know, it's a, it's a again like why the fuck is Exorcist 3 even remotely this interesting, you know? Yeah, right. And yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I agree. It has no right it to be. be. <laughs> and, and, like, for that alone, it's kind of it's kind of totally worth watching, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Definitely a very, yeah, unique kind of uh, uh, time capsule in a lot of ways, too. It's almost... Because mm-hmm. it, it's also... It's funny because, like, Blatty clearly kind of, like, learned filmmaking from probably working with Friedkin. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the way that he makes this movie, because this is 1990, this movie came out, Exorcist right. 3. I mean, he's trying to make a 70s film. That's true. You know, yeah, like that's he's, right. I didn't he, even think about how it doesn't feel like a 90s movie. Oh, God, no. Oh, my no, God, doesn't. no. It's, I mean, it was, you know, it was filmed in 89 or whatever, but. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, but still, no, it feels like a 70s film. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, again, not having this sort of. Uh, uh, mastery of some of the more you know uh, uh essential or elementary components of storytelling you know mm-hmm. uh, visual storytelling i should say because you know a lot of those cinema brats from the 70s like for how much kind of wild you know like albert's oh, taking drugs and making it up as we go along it was like yeah but they had also spent a ton of time like you know becoming good at like the basic storytelling blocks of filmmaking right. you know right, right. That was kind of they were able to be sort of like that free and wild because they already had this sort of either nascent talent or uh, sorry, uh, innate talent mm-hmm. um, or had, you know, had actually had the discipline for long enough that they were able to go wild and still maintain that, you know, deep knowledge base. Yeah, right. right. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, it's easy to uh, overlook that kind of stuff. But um, um, but yeah, so, you know, that was just another interesting component of it too. Just kind of cracking up about just the, the style and of it and everything. <laughs> just like, this is such a seventies movie. This is yeah. nothing. This literally has nothing to do with eighties movies. And no. it certainly is not the first nineties movie. This is a uh, fucking, God, no. yeah, this yeah. is a seventies movie. <laughs> um, and, and frankly, you know, it's probably better for it. Yeah, um, no, I definitely for having that yeah. kind of. I, I would not want to see you know 1989's The Exorcist three, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is Direct- which is what we got. But somehow you know he was stuck in a time sink or something like that. So luckily he was still in like seventy five. <laughs> who, who directed? Um, who directed that uh, Dominion movie? It was Paul, Paul Schrader was the original, but they took it away and then. Had somebody else finish it, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, God. Wait, I feel like I know uh, who it I is. I just remember. don't want to... I'm looking it up on... I, I want to say, like, Christoph Gans or someone like that, but... I wanted I pers- I wanted to say Rennie Harlan. Oh, no, you're right. 100%. Is it him? It's, it's 100% Rennie Harlan, yeah. Because right now, when you were just like, no, I don't want to see 1989, 1990s Exorcist 3, and I was like, I know, directed by Rennie Harlan. And then in my head, I was yeah. like, wait a minute, didn't he... Didn't Dude, is, yeah, who they oh gave him God. that movie? Yeah, how the fuck do you replace Paul Schrader with Rennie Harlan? <laughs> God damn it! Wow, that's really incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah, Rennie fucking Harlan. Yeah, no, that's that's right. I remember that shit. Jesus. I might, be, I might, I might end up going on a little exorcist journey, Dorian. I'm not gonna lie. I, Dude, I mean, what a. What a fucking weird, like, 
just yeah. What if the strange like you know, the like how is that not, how is that curse not being spoken about? Like the curse of the Exorcist sequels, just like laying waste to director after director. Like Friedkin <laughs> was the only one who was a big enough dick to be able to like wrangle this material into something. Yeah, right. You know, and again, that's why you end up with these like notorious stories about him on that set that he was just he was a fucking monster on that set. Yeah, you know. Um. And yeah, because he had to be. That was the only way you could like make a movie about the wrangle the devil was to be a bigger demon. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I guess he did it, and no one else would, and it fucked them all. <sighs> well, I'm glad you checked it out. I'm glad you had pros and cons. Yeah, and I'm glad that it wasn't. Uh, I'm glad that you feel that it wasn't like a total waste or anything yeah no just fucking what a weird movie (laughs) yeah that's like in all honesty it's like it's just it's just a curiosity you know Mm -hmm. like i I don't really get how this movie got made i mean also (laughs) this is 15 years later you know like the original was like 74 and then this was 89 yeah it was produced (laughs) and you know they had one you know, poorly received sequel in between. That was, I think the, I think Exorcist two was only a couple of years after the original two or three years. And uh, then so, yeah, let's see here. The yeah, Exorcist so, one was 73 and Exorcist two was 77. Okay. So yeah, four years later. So then this is even 13 years after that. Like, yeah, they're going to just make an Exorcist movie and have the like author of the original novel, write And direct <laughs> the film and we're going to give him a budget and like actual star power and shit. Like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> George just, C. Uh, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Like how this thing got greenlit is just so, so wild to me. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad it did. Cause there's, you know, there's some interesting ideas. I it kind of makes me wish in some ways that Blatty had, you know, either directed been more. given, yeah, been given the opportunity to, or pursued the opportunity to, you know, direct more and, and, you know, become better at it because you can see, you know, there are moments here where it looks like he actually has something to offer, you know, no, as definitely. that kind of storyteller. Yeah. Um, you know, I this, agree. this movie is not, this movie's not it. Uh, mm. but there's definitely flashes of it where you're like, fuck, actually, I'd like to see this guy get better at, at what he does. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Should we, uh, I think I'm going to grab something to drink and pop a window. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, I would like to have a cigarette real quick and collect more coffee. Sounds good. Do you want to pause and then we'll come back and do a clap? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right, cool. I'm going to pause it now. I am pausing now as well. <laughs> 